Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So I can't tell you exactly when this burden for the leaders of tomorrow happened. Maybe it was through watching a little girl that we love so much turn into a teenager and see all the obstacles and challenges that she faces that are a little bit different than, than what her mother and I faced. Maybe it's through the lens of, a lens of watching our two smaller kids and wondering what the world is going to look like whenever they're teenagers and whenever they're adults and having some current concerns about that. Maybe it's the sociologist in me that obsessively studies Generation Z and different generations. You know, a lot of your really small kids, what we're now calling this is the alpha generation. And there's a completely new set of characteristics that are going with the smaller kids. So whenever we talk about Gen Z, we are talking about born in the 1990s and on just a little bit further. Maybe it's the decline in weekly church attendance or the lack of interest that so many young people have in church. I uh, had shared with you guys not long ago that among Gen Z, about 4% of the kids have what we would call a biblical worldview. And that is a really, really scary statistic. I also want you to know that I am not here today to bash the next generation or to talk about how wayward we went. Is that not so annoying and negative? Like I'm just this old, old man up here that are just like, well, when I was a boy, and some of you could say the other, you know, that are older than me could say the exact same thing about my generation. In fact, I have to share this with you. I have prayed today. And maybe this is because I struggle. I would, I would be a horrible youth pastor. All right, I struggle with that age group probably more than any other group. But I have prayed more intentionally this week than I ever have in my life before I've preached that God would remove me and that a, prof- a prophetic voice much greater than myself would transcend and speak to you as parents And also to those that are in this room or listening online to the next generation today. I'm coming from a place of compassion. And I'm coming from a place of love. Because I just want to say this. I believe that your kids are wonderful. And I believe that they're amazing. And their ability to multitask and their ability to work the way that they are able to work, the amount of leaders that we have in the next generation supersedes anything that we've ever seen before. So I believe that there is so much hope, and we need to talk about that if we're really talking about the next generation leading the way. We are not at the end of Christianity. We are not at the end. We are at the beginning of what the prophet Isaiah called a new thing. And this is what we are going to see through the next generation and through the kids in this church that have the courage 
and the boldness to lead the way. We're in the final week of our 2023 vision series, A Mess Worth Making. And if you've not been here, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast where we have been. We are looking at three messy shifts that Believer's Church will make in 2023. And we've talked about these shifts being a mess worth making. So a little bit of review real quick. If you haven't been here on January the 8th, we covered shift number one, and we said we must make the shift this year because it's in the DNA of who we are as a church to go from being a home church, a place where people simply get comfortable to a sending station. Our mission is to scatter the gospel in other places around the region. The following week, we talked about shift number two, which was moving us from church attenders or religious consumers to disciple makers. Some of you will be here this evening if this is new to you and you want to hear more about disciple making following what we're calling the discipleship grid. It's going to be very informal. Six o'clock tonight, be here. We're going to learn about maybe you've never been discipled. You've been in the family of faith for a long time. Maybe you're outside the family of faith. You want to know more about what it means to be a disciple or you know that you're ready to start uh, making disciples. Had a good conversation with Dickie right before church and he was just talking about how amazing this process is going with, with Mark and Mark, the two guys that he is working with, and I'm thrilled. And he's following the discipleship grid, and he said so far it's going really, really well. Then last week we talked about the final shift, which is to take people from volunteering and serving and volunteering are very, 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 very important, but taking them to what we're calling spirit-filled gifting so that people understand more specifically their gifts and how to use, use those gifts in their lives and also in the local body. So today what I want to do is I want to take these three shifts and share the importance of passing these cultural shifts to the next generation so that they become normalized for our kids and our kids' kids and on and on and on so that the gospel of Jesus radically changes so that news stations and other people are saying, what in the world is going, what is this revival that is taking place in East Tennessee in which kids that have long abandoned this idea of Christianity or God are absolutely on fire based on what Jesus is doing in their lives. This is the place that we want to be. So we are going to look in 1 John. If you want to turn there, we believe that John is the author of this letter that we're going to look at today. 1 John, it's toward the very, very end of your Bible. It's also going to be up here on the screen as well. 1 John is often referenced for its contrast. Truth versus lies, light versus darkness, love versus hate. And our biggest takeaway from this short letter, what this letter is really about is warning believers that they are, what they are adhered to when regarding false teachings or things that look really, really nice ethically. Sometimes it's trying to bring in certain teachers and combine this within the faith. And listen, a lot of the things that our kids are looking at, a lot of the things that our teenagers and our smaller kids are looking at, if it's through uh, something they hear about from cable news, if it's from a social media influencer, whatever it might be, these things that are out there, they seem like a better option than the church. They seem like, okay, this seems right. This seems true. This seems real. And then they internalize that. So this is what's going on, this idea of approaching 
the false teaching that is going on, and how does John, the beloved disciple, how is it that he combats these false teachings, these things that are wrong with culture, these things that are trying to mix in or do away with the message, message of Jesus? Does he do it with self-righteousness? No. Does he do it in a mean-spirited way? No. Does he do it in an aggressive way? No. He does it with love. And this is what we see. This is what this letter is all about. In fact, you can't even go more than 50 words in this short letter. It's often referred to as the love letter by the beloved disciple without seeing this agape love, this love that reaches deep, this unconditional love. Not what you see, unfortunately, in a lot of churches or religious movements, but this love that goes so deep and changes people. First John, we're going to look at chapter 1 in just three verses, five through seven. First John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. This is for everyone that's in here today. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him, and we live in darkness, and this is so many people, they claim that they have fellowship. Yeah, I believe in God. I have a relationship with God. I think that's true. Sure. But live in darkness, we have no fellowship with him, and we live in darkness, and we are lying and do not act truthfully. But if we are in the light, the same way that he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and this is the best part, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. So our three cultural shifts, what they do is they bring the light. All right, if we're talking about sending people out with the gospel... That is bringing the light. If we're talking about making disciples, that is bringing the light. If we're talking about helping people understand their spiritual gifts, the deeper purpose as to why they're here, this is bringing the light. And in, unfortunately, in Generation Z, what we see is a lack of light. Okay, we see a lack of light. Now, I am speaking to every teenager that is in here right now, the handful of you that are in here right now. Let me say something. I said there's a lack of light in your generation. This is not your fault. This is our fault. This is the fault of the silent generation, the boomers, Gen X like myself. This is our fault. The world that you live in and the problems that are here are not your fault. You are simply trying to adapt to the mess that you're in, that have been created from previous generations. Now listen to this. Gen Z have found that there is more stability in an ethical system that they've learned from society than what they see in a hypocritical scandal-ridden, institutionalized religious system. And I get it. I get it because our kids are smart. They're smarter than us in a lot of ways. So if they see garbage, they're going to call it a lot of times. And unfortunately, that's a lot of what we have shown them. But what they've missed... And what we failed to show is the beautiful scandal of grace. And the fact that in this anxiety, and in this depression, and in this hurt, 
And in this, everyone competing for your attention. Everyone competing for you to pay attention to what they are saying. That it's clouded and distorted. This God that still reaches down. This shepherd that still pursues the one. And the hurt and the pain. And you, know, you want to know something? Most of us in here, really all of us in here, we're not terribly far removed from what it feels like to be young. From what it feels like to go through all of those things with everything changing around you, your body changing, all of a sudden your state of mind, you've been raised in this shelter, now all of a sudden you're looking, maybe my parents weren't right. There are all these other options that are out there. And this is the reality. You remember when you had a crush on somebody. You remember when someone made fun of you. You remember when you didn't want to look like the, cool, the uncool kid or whatever it was. You remember what that felt like as well. But believers' church must be in this place where our primary focus is showing this beautiful scandal of grace that changes everything, that changed the heart of this broken, horrible at marriage, selfish, arrogant, alcoholic that is standing before you right now. And today when I struggle, he still continues to reach because his mercies are new every morning and nothing else in society can make that promise. So just a couple observations that I have today that I want to give you that will help us as we prepare the next generation. So this is not only for parents, but this is for every single person in here that believes that what we are doing here has to carry on, has to go forward. Do you have any idea how many pastors that I talk to in a meeting, at a funeral, at lunch that say, there are no young people that are in our church. And this is because of what they, they perceive naturally. So number one, it's important that we understand, and you need to understand this in your life, light and darkness, as scripture tells us, cannot coexist. And for too long, what we've tried to do if we've, is we've tried to make light and darkness coexist. We've been Christian by reputation or church attender by what other people know or because we said a prayer back in October of 1972 and not taken a step since, we believe that we've given people something to follow and the only thing that we've given them to follow is civil religion in which we combine Christianity and society and put them together and live superficial lives. This is what we've shown them, and this is what we're showing our kids. And our kids come to us with questions, and we can't blame them because we're laying on our backs on the couch on a phone ourselves. Whenever they come to us with the most important questions that they could possibly have. Verse 6, if we claim we have fellowship with him, this means kononia. It means that fellowship, this intimate, deep life, if we say that we have that and we are in the light, yet we live in the darkness, we are liars. 
We are lying and we do not act truthfully. Some people, you know, they will say, I do not lie. And the thing that I hate the most in life is a liar and a thief. Well, you are a liar. If you're making an effort to combine the two of these, because it's, it's passing down and it's filtering down and it's flowing down and your kids have made the decision, I'm not going to mimic that junk. At least this influencer, at least friends at school, at least these other people are trying to give me something somewhat authentic. And this is the greatest area of tension for Gen Z. A lot of them also believe that they can have fellowship with God, this generic idea, while also living in darkness themselves. Now, please understand this. We have not faced this the way that they have, because they're getting the blunt, hard end of our mistakes and of our personal darkness. And I'm going to tell you what it looks like right now. According to Pew Research, 70% of teens say that depression and anxiety are major issues among their peers. Listen, I had anxiety. I started taking medication as a teenager for anxiety. But you want to know something? It was really taboo. I didn't tell other people. It was something I was very embarrassed about because nobody back in the mid-90s really talked about that the way we do today. Today. Now we're talking about 70%, 7 out of 10 are struggling with depression or anxiety. I'm going to tell you something. I remember what that felt like in the isolated loneliness, and it breaks my heart. And the problem is, it doesn't break some people's hearts. And the reason it doesn't break their hearts is because they let them shut themselves in the room on their phones all night. This is truth. 51% cite drug addiction and 45% cite alcohol consumption as major problems among their peers. 55% of teens say that bullying was a major issue over half. And it's not the same thing that it used to be. Whenever you had somebody at school that was really annoying, and you know maybe you had that feeling in your stomach, like, I can't believe I have to go in and face this problem. Now it's all over the internet. You watch somebody's story and they're trashing you. And it's public. We never had to face anything like that. We didn't have to go through that. And this is a new form of darkness that is just growing and growing and growing. Now, I could read these statistics all day. The Mayo Clinic, a 2019 study, more than 6,500 12 to 15-year-olds in the U.S. found that those who spent more than three hours a day using social media might be at a heightened risk for mental health problems. You think? Amen. You think? Well, of course, there is a biblical term for this. It's called darkness. And we have so many that are struggling in such a horrible place. And you see, I think that most of us, let's take the, the teens or the smaller kids out. Let's talk about adults. I think that most of us, we're just sick. We're sick. And what we're doing, and the reason that all of us use social media, is, and I have social media, I'm not bashing social media, I'm talking about excess. All right, but you know what I think most of us are doing? I think we're hovering in this place between boredom. We are so bored. We have more options than we have ever had in our lives. But if you ask a drug addict that's getting clean what their biggest issue is, a lot of times it's not the psychological defeat. A lot of times it's not the physical pain. I can tell you from experience, we are bored out of our minds. And you know what's on the other side of it? Inadequacy. 
So it's like we're walking this tightrope in the United States of America, the most wealthy, industrialized nation ever on the face of this earth, and we are constantly bored, and something is telling us over and over and over that we are inadequate and we don't matter. And this is what we are experiencing all the time. So what do you expect a kid to do? They're like trying to walk this, this balance and trying to find this value somewhere. So I'm saying this again today as I address the next generation. There is another way. And it's not only another way. It's the way that will lead to everything true about you. It's the way that will give you everything. And you may feel inadequate. And you may feel that you're not good enough. You may feel that you're not pretty enough. You may feel that you're not smart enough. And all of this pressure... There is a better way for you. Our second point today, and this is for the adults in the room. Togetherness in the light. Us being together will reveal God to our current generation. When we learn to do it right, we can break the cycle of repetition in which we are being false, hypocritical, Christians complaining and gossiping about everything, and we can show what this light looks like. Light is a common biblical metaphor. It's used over 250 times in Scripture. It's used on the first pages, and it's used on the last pages. Light is good. Verse 7, but if we live in the light, what does the light look like? Biblical justice, love for the broken grace for sinners, hope for the hurting. But if we live in the light in the same way that he is in the light, we will have fellowship with each other. Fellowship is good. It's better than bickering. It's better than arguing. It's better than slander. It's better than gossiping. We will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some sins, from a few sins, from the real bad one thing that we did. From the things that are forgivable, but not the things that are unforgivable. From all sin, we are forgiven. Our world must see followers of Jesus living together in peace and loving one another, loving one another through the redemptive power of Christ. Those insecurities that Instagram constantly reminds you of, they diminish when you know that there is a God that loves you. For those of you that have Snapchat, you're on it all the time. God never leaves you on open. I thought that was clever. Was it corny? I thought it was clever. Okay. Your questions about identity, gender, the future, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, insecurity, trauma, regrets, mistakes, and the crush that hurt you. There are answers for all of it. But maybe you've been looking in the wrong places. And maybe what society offers in the moment, because of how messy and destructive and disruptive things have been, 
Maybe it's easier to go other places sometimes. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the what? The compassionate Father. The God of all comfort. Not the God in the air that's trying to strike lightning bolts down and destroy you. Not the God that's just trying to send everybody to hell. Not the mean God. Not the, the narrow-minded, judgmental God. But the God of all comfort. Because what so many people tell you of all ages, whenever they're rejecting God and that they found peace in these other places, and they're on their phones all the time, ask them sometime, how is that actually working out for you? Because they'll share their misery. And what they'll usually tell you most of the time is that if I can just get away from everything else and often our phone, all ages, what we do, that's an escape. It's a brief escape from the boredom and the inadequacy, this tight rope that we are walking. And many of these people call themselves blood-bought Christians. They call themselves people who have been redeemed and changed and renewed. Yet they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. The God of all comfort. He's the one who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort other people in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. Romans 8, 37, 39. I hope you're ready for this one. But in all things, we have a sweeping victory, not depression, not defeat, not pain, not constant worry, not worry about the future, what's going to happen to me. We have a sweeping victory through the one who loves us, through that agape love, that love that, listen, I fail my kids all the time. You fail people all the time. This is a love that does not fail you. I don't care where you are, how insecure you are, how much you're struggling. It never fails you. But is it permanent? That's the question we ask. Everybody else is shifty. Is it permanent? I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love to Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life. Not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or debt or any other thing that is created can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are redeemed. We are free. And the only thing in your life that you have to do is lean into this and say, God, I'm ready. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to leave the shame. I'm going to leave the hurt. I'm going to leave all those things behind. I know, I understand, I'm probably going to get made fun of. 4% worldview among Gen Z, you're going to be on the outs. I can promise you that. But there is grace and a reward waiting for you that nothing else will ever give you. Some of you are in the process. You're filling out your college applications. You're thinking about sophomore year. You're thinking about high school next year. And you're scared to death about all this. It's all going up in smoke one day. But there is one thing that will remain. And that is the relationship that you commit because he will never, ever, ever let you down. Now, there's going to be a lot of bad things happen. And sometimes you're not emotionally going to feel in it. So life is hard. Prophet Isaiah says this, the mountains may shift. And there are times it's going to feel like everything is falling apart. but my faithful love won't shift from you. And my 
covenant of peace that I plant deep inside of you when the world is shaking, will not shake. It is the constant. It is the consistent. It is the continuity when your life is falling apart. And you think things are hard? What God is doing within you is creating a story that will change people all around you. And there is evidence of that that is in this room right now. My faithful love won't shift from you. My covenant of peace won't be shaken, says the Lord, the one who pities you or the one who cares for you at all times. When your parents and your friends and your teachers and other people have no idea what is even going on within you. Gen Z, your hope is found. We may fail you, but he never will. And this is what I know. Despite the reaction today, I sent Roger a message the other day, and I said, our students, our youth, it's about to catch fire. It's about to catch fire the way that things are in here, so this is what I wonder. Who is the brave boy or the brave girl or the small group of guys or girls that are really going to carry this, that are going to say, I don't care about anything else anymore. I am going to trust in Jesus. And what you're going to see is that everything that you ever cared about will start to diminish. And things that you never even knew, gifts you never knew you had, things you never knew you wanted to be a part of are going to start to just blossom up. Everywhere. And you're going to think, in my life all the time, I thought, God, this is not the direction that I saw. What are you doing? I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know I could do that. How could life have ever been this good? Don't wait until you're in your 30s or your 40s where you have the chance to make so many mistakes that myself and other people that are in this room right now have made. You can begin this today. So just a little bit of advice for parents of any kids between 0 and 17 years old. Number one, disciple your kids. If you have no idea what that means, or you feel like you've done a really poor job at it, you have the option to be here at 6 p.m. Because again, there are so many times, that are, listen, if your kid, and, I, and I'm, I'm bad for this, if your kid is pulling on your leg trying to get your attention, and you're trying to see how many likes you got on Facebook, pay attention to them. Create a Bible study within your home. I know this sounds really radical in today's society. I know it sounds super crazy. What a bunch of fundamentalist freaks. Why are they doing that? This is the only thing that is going to last. Spend this time with your kids. Get to know them. Let them ask questions and show the love of Jesus. Don't let a social media influencer that knows nothing with a Wikipedia education Determine the future of your kids. Show them that they mean more. Attend quarterly meetings for parents. We've introduced something new with this discipleship track that we're on that four times a year, twice for kids ministry, and it was wonderful last, last weekend. And then also for student ministry, twice a year for both. Just an opportunity to learn what your kids are learning 
and also to get some discipleship tools that you can then take home with your kids. And then learn to disciple, because I think this is still for so many of you, through serving in kids' ministry. I pray that you don't look at our kids' ministry with the stats that I just told you of five accepting Christ recently. I hope that you don't look at that as, well, at least they have something to entertain, to be entertained while we're in here. We are raising up soldiers. And we have very, very good teachers. All these things are very, very important. So what we're going to do as we close today, and maybe some of you need to pray like you've never prayed before, but I'm going to invite you guys up here, any, anyone that's willing to come as we start to worship, and we're just going to pour our hearts out for the next generation. Prayer works. I just want you to know that. It's not just a, a passive activity that we do. It works. And when the people of God start to pray together, phenomenal things start to happen. So the chains of depression, the fear about the future, the normal stuff that's just part of the teenage mind that so many of us have been through. Again, none of us are too far removed. Some of us further than others. But we remember what it was like to some degree, even though we don't face the same pressures that exist today. And what we are going to pray for is a movement of God in this generation. So after I pray, if you want to come forward and pray, you can. If you'd like to pray at your seat, that's perfectly fine as well. There may also be some young people in this room this morning you're just tired of it. Tired of feeling miserable. You're tired of finding, trying to find answers and other things. It really is a lot of weight and a lot of stress to try to live up to the expectations of others. And what my parents told me, and then what we tell Callie, is the second that you graduate, the second you walk across that stage, none of it's going to matter. Would you guys agree with that? When you walk across, it's like none of it matters, but you can't see that if you're 14 or 15 years old. So maybe you're in here today, you need to be baptized, you need to accept Christ, you need to rededicate, whatever that looks like or however long we're here. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven, and we are going to see life change. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful. God, just grateful for these, these kids. Um, from the nursery uh, to those that are with us that are seniors in high school, God, may we burn for nothing else. God, understanding that before we lift them up, we need to make things right in our own heart. We need to be authentic followers. Father, we don't need to show them light and darkness at the same time, one foot in, one foot out. But that, God, we are living for eternity. And the way that we love one another and the way that we treat others matters. We pray, God, we beg for the Holy Spirit to invade this place. And God, for there not to be one person of any age walk out of this room until their heart is right with you. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise for all you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we begin a new series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.